Hello, I'm Andrew Skipper. This is The A Perspective, a series of podcasts looking at investment in Africa and the impact of COVID-19 on the continent. I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors. People are deeply committed to building on the continent. They're certainly pulling no punches about the problems, but they're also spotting enormous opportunities. Sharon Constanson is primarily responsible for having picked up the South Africa Chamber of Commerce in London by the bootstraps and turned it around into an organization which is both active and relevant in the relationship between South Africa and the UK. At this critical time for both UK as it exits the EU and South Africa as it seeks to consolidate its position in the world market, overlaid, of course, with the pandemic, the relationship should be positive and productive. Um, in addition to this, Sharon leads Genius Boards and is a leading expert on boardroom dynamics, the effective operation of a board, and supporting directors and chairmen to be their best. Now is the time for focused action and proper governance structures to be implemented across Africa if we're to see the new paradigm demanded by the AU. And I'm absolutely delighted to be able to speak to Sharon today about these issues as they face Africa amid COVID. So welcome, Sharon, today. Thank you very much, Andrew. It's an absolute honor to be your guest. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So as I, I've said to a number of my other guests, we were we were sitting around in January looking at a very positive picture uh, across Africa. And in South Africa, at least things were looking brighter. Um, from your point of view, uh, what's changed since then? And what have been the biggest challenges you faced? And, and how have you coped with lockdown? And finally, just how do you see the current situation in South Africa? First thing I'd like to comment on, Coming into the new year, starting a new decade, there was positivity everywhere. Yeah. And South Africa is a really naturally very positive country. So whether we spoke to people here in the UK or spoke to people in South Africa, we all said this is the beginning of a fantastic decade. We've been through difficult times and this is the beginning of, some, of a new era. Yeah, absolutely right. It was a new era, but not the one we had all planned for. And literally within less than nine weeks, we're sitting in a, a position you could never possibly have imagined. If I look from a work perspective, what has uh, lockdown done for me, other than everyone talks about the lockdown kilos or pounds or stones if they're unlucky, um, is actually being able to, from a business point of view, one of my businesses, actually both my, my day job businesses run virtually. So from my point of view, what I did is I ended up with far less travel. I didn't have to worry about traveling. If I look at it from the Chamber's perspective, we're also a virtual organization in terms of not having people going into an office environment. So I had a very different set of experiences in terms of being able to actually sit down and get some work done without having to travel. So I, I have thoroughly enjoyed part of that. But if you look back to South Africa, who is a very outdoor, sunshine, um, energized people, they are far more comfortable and more natural with a face-to-face culture. And one thing I've noticed with one of my businesses that does focus on the South African market, um, and I pick this up also from as a chairman of the chamber, uh, where we are dealing with South Africans or with the trade or with negotiations and things, they went into, I'm, I'm rabbit in a headlight. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm depressed. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't do all other naughty things I want to do. And I can't make any business decisions either because I just feel inept. And the country went into a standstill for a period of time. And every time I spoke to people, I said, well, we'll deal with that when we get back to the office. We'll deal with that when we get back to the office. It is September. And most of those people are not back at the office yet. Yeah, some are, absolutely. some are not. And people are now trying to 
well, I'm going to have to start making decisions. I'm going to have to find my silver lining on that cloud after all, because um, I can't carry on being negative. So you do see a tremendous negativity in South Africa. Things are not great. Uh, the country is suffering hugely, not the deaths that one had expected. Um, so COVID has not hurt South Africa as badly as we all thought it would with a population that probably was vulnerable, but they have hurt really badly economically. So if you look at it from that perspective, South Africa has been hit in a serious way. Its financial systems were sound, its legal systems were sound. There were many things that it can be absolutely grateful for. But the corruption is just driving a huge degree of negativity at this point when people are sitting at home, reading fake news, responding to rubbish on in the social media environment. So I think the social media has actually got to the better of a lot of people's sanity, which normally having interacted with people, they wouldn't have gone into the sort of almost state of depression that I'm, I'm feeling when I deal with South Africa, which does concern me um, hugely. I'm not used to South Africans being despondent. We worked with people today and they sent me something, I think, that's flat. It doesn't have color in it. Where's the energy? Where's the spice? Where's the sunshine that you normally see with work that comes from South Africa? So that has been um, disappointing. I could see, I probably can understand, they've just been through winter as well. The other things that we have seen from a business perspective as a chamber, we've actually been very fortunate. We've had very, very low churn of our membership during a period like this. We could have had a much higher churn of membership, but we've had to reinvent ourselves completely from a, a real-time event where we had people in the room to actually doing what we wanted to do for ages before that, but the will within a pro bono bunch of volunteers wasn't getting the energy, we had to find it. We suddenly had to do things differently. So a lot of things we can be extremely grateful for, actually. And we have been able to reach a much greater membership. We've had a lot more um, interaction in South Africa for the South African Chamber. And for that, we are extremely grateful. And I don't think we'll lose that interest. We will obviously gain that as a potential membership flow as, as we sort of reach out to that. They will see a value in the membership, not only because they can't come to an event and therefore, therefore, they won't join the chamber. So I think the chamber, in some respects, as an outcome of doing business differently, will be a benefactor. And I think what we're looking for now, and this is in the UK market with my UK businesses, as well as with the um, chamber where we've got the trade between the two countries, is getting businesses to actually go back to business. It's, it's been interesting because lots of different businesses have done things in different ways. But as you say, it's, it's almost been a catalyst to a number of things which were going to happen in the long term, but have had to happen quickly. So, you know, we've been the same. We've been trying to be you try and be present, but remotely. So you so you keep front of mind, which is quite interesting. And the, I mean, but stepping back a little bit, the UK and South Africa had a very close, uh, long term, and sometimes uneasy relationship in the past. With your with your chamber hat on, how important is that relationship now? And what's the current state of play? And and how can the chamber help on this? because there has to be a mutual benefit for things to work. So so where is that, do you see it? Um, when you talk of being a close and sometimes uneasy relationship, um, I can align to that hugely. Um, a lot of people have a belief that South Africa is the major trading, oh, sorry, the UK is the, most, is the major trading partner for South Africa. It's probably the better known one over time rather than in volume mm. of trade. China, Germany, a few others, quite a few other countries are ahead. I think we're about fifth in 
one direction and seventh in the other direction. But it is a critical relationship yeah. uh, now that the EU treaties are changing as a result of Brexit. So if you look at from the Chamber's perspective, we look at what Brexit is bringing as an opportunity to South Africa. It is huge because the agreement now allows South Africa to do the same degree of trade with the UK that it did with Europe, and therefore it's doubled its trade quota effectively with them, that market. Because before, if they had X, they had X including the UK. Yeah. Now they have two X, one X with Europe and one X with yeah. the UK. So if they use that and they use that cleverly, I think uh, the opportunities for South Africa, whether it's exports or imports, is massive. And it, uh, yes, there's exchange controls on the financial side, but those are so manageable these days. The problem we've got with the UK market is they don't think of Africa naturally. They think of Asia because they've been working there. They're sort of rethinking that model a little bit now. US is very difficult to trade with, but they will do that because they get dollars. Rands, who wants rands? Yeah, and, and so the mindset is not a positive one naturally for South Africa, if it's someone who has never traded with Africa before. Yeah. So I think there's a massive education um, plan that needs to occur within the UK. And I know Emma and the DIT are working on that from their perspective. It's very important for the DTI from the South African perspective to get onto that um, opportunity bandwagon and actually help the uh, markets um, get to know each other. And that's where the Chamber comes in. Yes, if I, we know I, yeah, both totally those parties hugely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we are very aligned to both those groups of people. We understand what they're aiming to achieve. And we run some major seminars and programs around specific industries to focus the mind of the UK public and the opportunity of investing uh, large investment in infrastructure, into either agriculture, oil, energy, gas, um, IT. There are a number of sectors that we're looking at. So there is a, a, a real business level, practical level enlightenment that the Chamber can bring to those that have not competently gone out there looking for that kind of business themselves. So I think we have got an education opportunity from the one side, but also I think the thing that we should be doing more of and things like um, Roma Poser's investment conference last year was a lovely opportunity being down there, meeting a lot of people, was for us to go and look for the opportunities to bring the opportunities to the UK market. Yeah. I think investment is going to be more difficult. I think trade is the one that we should be focusing on more than investment. I think there are other bodies that are looking at the investment side. If we get the investment, well, that is an absolute bonus. Yeah, I mean, the UK government are currently reviewing the their next their ten year global plan for how they should mm -hmm. be responding to the to the world, and they've launched the new FC, FCDO. What advice would you give the UK government in its dealings with with South Africa? Uh, that's an interesting one. Dealing with Africa is always going to be different to dealing with your European partners that you are familiar with, and they are unique as well in every single country within Europe. They are as unique from one to the other. And when you're trying to deal with Asia, you've got a lot of uniqueness and challenges and things that are foreign to you. Africa is equally the same. And it is, if you look back as the sort of um, nation of going and creating the Commonwealth, the Brits had no problem with Africa in those days. They seem to have found a problem and sort of a barrier to dealing with Africa in the interim. But the one thing I think they do need to understand is the politics of Africa are different. 
and also the, the, the culture, the one of the cultures that exists quite strongly in South Africa, and I'm, I'm not quite sure I'm going to find the right word, but if there are South Africans listening to me, they'll understand. <laughs> they have a, a kraal menta mentality. You take the ox wagons, you create a, uh, a, a secure circle, and you exist inside and you protect it from the, the external environment. Because South Africa has been sanctioned, it's on the furthest tip of Africa. It's used to being in a kraal mentality. We'll manage we don't need you, and we don't need the world. And that that culture still exists within the African and in the non-African um, groups of people mm. within South Africa, within business and within government. And that's something that if you understand it's there, you can work with it. It's not to be taken as being negatively arrogant. It's just it is the culture of, yeah, I am the best. I'm good at what I do. So why do you need to tell me something new? I don't need to know, learn that right now. You also have to look at the uh, some of the legislature that gets in the way, and it will be things like the, uh, Triple B, Double uh, E, which is your yeah. black, uh, broad-based black empowerment, yeah, yeah. Um, and you've got your exchange controls, you've got those kind of things, and also you have a, a government which at the moment is really struggling to deliver what it's trying to do. So you have a lot of hamstrings there, but you do have a very good legal system. You have a very good banking system. You've got good liquidity in the system. It's a very first world and third world country yes. muddled up together. Absolutely. When you go there, as you know, it doesn't yep. look like a third world country in a million years. It's an amazing place. It's Absolutely. very, very dynamic. Yep. So I think the, the advice I'd be giving to um, companies and governments specifically, as you made mention, is find people that you can trust and work with so that you can get to understand how the South African culture works and how best to get in at the right place. Somebody approached me the other day, I guess it was on a commercial level, but needed to reach into not government, but into top echelons of um, the financial system. And I said, look, I don't think what you're doing is going to work, but I don't know the answer. But I have got the route to find the answer. Mm. So I went and found the answer for that individual and said, no, we're right, gut feeling was correct. Going in at that point is not going to be the right way to do it because, and when I got to explain it, I said, that's how the Guptas got around the system is you follow what you think is the most logical route and you go in at the top and you haven't come in from the bottom where all the compliance, the trust, the relationships have been first, built first before you elevate things into another um, decision-making level. So South Africa at the moment from a cultural point of view is very bruised and very sensitive to being taken advantage of. And I was trying to do business with an organization down in South Africa the other day and I could actually feel it. Um, so we have to find a way to help organizations here and the government here to understand that sensitivity. The last thing they want is another bunch of corruption occurring. So with that knowledge that nobody wants to be involved in part of the corruption either, we can actually do good business by following the way we do it here, which is trying as business not to get caught up in a corrupt environment. How could things be done better in that sense? Because the last thing you want is for, a, for this sort of situation to lead to a bad situation. So how, how would you advise people to do things better? Uh, my advice is probably completely different to anybody else you would ask this question. My problem that I have when you try and do something, whether it's with the bank in the UK or trying to work with a PPE um, supplier chain contract in, in South Africa, which is something I have tried to do and given up after dismally getting nowhere. So I sat back and thought, when I uh, 
from this perspective, where you and I are chatting, I think I, I think back upon that occasion. I think, okay, what would have worked for me as the potential yeah. customer that wasn't being delivered to me at that moment? And I was dealing with a process. It was done without the the real live environment. So what they've done is they've created a process and then put somebody who is inexperienced in to deliver the process. So my question to people is, and particularly if you look at South Africa, you have a massive, pretty well-educated population as well. You have a high unemployment that has occurred. They should be educating and training people and getting people upskilled quickly. But I would start by putting the clever people, the intelligent people, the experienced people, the people who know the stuff in there at the rock face. I know that's not where they want to be. But if you get them there, the training will elevate and escalate dramatically and we'll start getting delivery of things happening. And the only way you're going to do it is to bring those that are the competent ones down a rung or two into yeah, if you sit, if you think of a cruise ship, they're all sitting in the, in the English Channel. But if they go from the top decks, the sea air decks, down into the down a couple of things into the kitchen decks, and with their knowledge, you'd have a very different activity occurring on those decks very quickly. And, yeah, and just get them to yeah. generate that knowledge. Yeah, it's a very interesting. Actually, it's very interesting because a lot of the multinationals who I've worked for over the years have done exactly that by making sure that all their brightest people on their management trainees start on the factory floor. Mm-hmm. and they move around and make sure they know the business from top to bottom before they end up telling everybody what to do, um, which I think is, broadly speaking, what you just said. I think that's really interesting. And it's right. now, I yeah. think it's kind of times where you're trying to do something unprecedentedly quickly mm. with limited experience of having, to done, having done that before. You've got certain minds that can work out there for what the solution needs to be. Don't over-process it. Rather, just get people understanding it and have the ability to um, improvise to a certain degree when they need to. At the moment, the world is so process-orientated that the answer is no before you start because we can't get past base two of the process because you ask me a question that I'll never be able to answer because I don't have such information, for example. So I would really look at the degree to which we have commoditized the world and the degree to which we put junior inexperienced people into that commoditized chain and the outcome is a disaster. And that's, yeah. I think, also where a lot of our corruption globally is manifested because they can work around that system. Yeah. So too many people want to be captains, as Kurt yes. Darren would say. <laughs> um, is, it, so from your, is there a blueprint for this? I mean, is there something you could say, this is how you should do things from your point of view? I think if I had to find one phrase, and I probably have covered it a bit in the um, statement before, yeah. is not death by process. Yes. Um, we we do want to give people the ability to manage, to escalate, to move up uh, um, their competence levels at different rates. And also having the competent people within those chains that people can learn from and ask those questions of. I think that is also um, quite important for them. Um, If you look at it from a governance perspective, um, if you look at a board, a board can't know everything. A board can't touch everything. It's non-executive to a large extent, and it has to rely on the way information is provided to it and to ask all the difficult questions in the competent way. 
But what you do have around a board is at least three, possibly five or six board committees, which are tasked with doing something deep dive, more insightful, uh, getting more into the detail of some of those things, such that the board actually does have the assurance and you are not left with the finance director and the CEO being the only channels of information into the board. So if you take that governance structure and say that we need to look at um, a blueprint, I would look at a way of saying that you have those two layers uh, where you have a board with a link into management and you have a committee with a link into the business so that we stop filtering what information is occurring and we allow an independent ability for information to flow to certain yeah. destinations. Another thing, um, if you look at uh, things from a governance perspective, governance invariably works. It's people that don't. What we've got to do in our organizations, our governments, our negotiations, our dealings with other people is to, and that's whether it's coming from South Africa or coming from the UK in a trade agreement, for example, is a, a culture of total ethics, a culture of total transparency. We do not tolerate X, Y, or Z here. That's not the way we operate. And if I am for a second uncomfortable, that culture is starting to go in the wrong way. If I, so I think, really? then I should start to be thinking differently. So I think there's a big piece around doing the right thing naturally in a business environment. Slightly on the more positive side then. I mean, the, <laughs> the, cha the chamber, the, what, I mean, some people think chambers of commerce, sort of old gentlemen's clubs, self-serving agreement. <laughs> I, I, obviously, I don't see that from what I see from the SACT. But what do you... What do you see the role of chambers at their best? It's especially at this time when we need, you know, your point is we need to get trade going. Otherwise, you know, we're all going to sit around being miserable. As a chamber of commerce, uh, people will turn to us and say, I can't get a hold of XYZ government mm. department because nobody's answering me. The telephone, can somebody help me? Believe it or not, yes, we can. We can point them in the right direction, find them a solution, get them in contact with the correct person because working from home has hugely challenged government departments that you can't get hold of people because they're only used to put up a telephone number or an info email address and nobody's responding to that. So the chamber is very much a point of, I'm stuck, I need help, can you help me? So there is a, a huge value at a much lower level. But then you take a look, look up the next level and saying, I want to trade with South Africa. What are the challenge? Is my product going to be interesting? How do I go and do some market research? What should I do? We, can, we might not be able to do all the work because we don't have all the expertise mm -hmm. internally given the, where the chamber is in its evolution at the moment. But what we can do is say, we can help you find those answers. We can help put you in touch and actually have some of those conversations for you and bring you back that information that you need. The only requirement we have for that is, please become a member. It's not expensive. We'll do all that work for you because our only income is membership income. Yeah. So we don't charge for these kind of services. We just get on and actually make sure that they can help themselves uh, or help determine what they need to know and we can make the introductions. But one of the things we find the best environment for um, businesses is coming together in a virtual or physical preferably mm. environment and the number of business deals i have seen struck having a conversation you've got exactly what i'm looking for i'm going to call you tomorrow and let's get this one done uh, is very very common because people are like-minded 
and invariably have or know somebody else who can solve somebody's need. So it really is that that cross-pollination of business ideas. We do spend a lot of time putting on webinars, events, speakers, um, intel, seminars, so that we can actually help educate people into the opportunities that the two countries offer each other. And we work very closely with um, British Chamber of Business, which is our sister chamber based in Johannesburg. So we work closely with them and use their networks as well as our own. And then we use the national networks here too. And um, I've actually got a, um, I'm on a panel in next month with a number, I'm also chairman of the Council of Foreign Chambers of Commerce in in London, and we're busy putting that into being a regulation as entity. As if so. you didn't have enough to as do if already. I didn't have to do. Yeah. <laughs> so we are meeting with the Council of Foreign Chambers, African Chamber, the Canadian Chamber, and the London Chamber of Commerce and Industry. So the opportunity our members get is to learn from a much broader network than just being a member of our chamber. And what we can do is what else we can do because of our network and our legs. From my point of view, I can see that the, the, this chamber is a very dynamic one, which is, which is great. But I think finally, I think one of the, I mean, it's not just about business. I mean, you, you know, chambers have to relate to their communities, as it were. And I think one of the things you've been doing over the last weekend or so is um, there's been a lot of walking <laughs> there's been a lot of walking going on and um, I, 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 even I, did, I, even I did some of it and some rather up a mountain or so but tell us t a tiny bit about 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 that side of things um, uh, to bring this uh, this conversation to a conclusion. Oh, thank you very much, Andrew. Um, the opportunity that we had is we got approached by the Solidarity Fund itself to see if we could do something to help them. And the thing that I focused on first was let's just work on the positivity, the energy, the the we can do this, we can achieve this, and and try and dampen some of the negativity that we were feeling coming out of South Africa, you know, the flatness and things I was talking about earlier. And we we set up this challenge was to walk from Cape Town to Brightbridge and back to Cape Town with global steps of South Africans locally and internationally walking and energizing each other. We had the most amazing weekend. I actually got myself around 45 miles in, in within the weekend. Okay. And that was uh, a Better huge donation towards, <laughs> towards the fact that we, we actually worked, walked well further than the 2,414 miles that I set as the challenge. And I have to say into the, the Saturday, I was beginning to think, oh, I thought, uh, when we set the first one, which was 1,207, two-byte bridge, I thought, oh, that's too easy. We've got to go all the way back again. And my team around me, their faces dropped. And, of course, Saturday comes, and everyone's like, oh, we're never going to make it. This is going to be embarrassing. But, you know, South Africans, actually, it was so energizing globally yeah. to see South Africans pull together and walk and then tell us about it. And, the, and we went hundreds of miles beyond what we said we wanted to achieve in that period of time, which for me just gives me that um, the warming thought that however much people are taking things very difficult at the moment, we're finding that on the fundraising side, it is really difficult to get people to fundraise for us. Yeah. We at least achieved this one objective and crashed through the barriers like you can't believe it of global positivity by South Africans thinking of their colleagues. But yes, the, we've got the fundraising window is still open for yep. a few and more weeks, which will probably make, close. And, I, and I will make, I'll make sure that is attached to this excellent conversation. Sharon, <laughs> Sharon thank you so much for that. That was excellent and uh, great to speak to you today. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for your time, Andrew. Enjoyed our conversation. Mm -hmm.